I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Outer Sanctum is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. Here is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Welcome to the Outer Sanctum for another week. And just in, you can't beat the girls of the bulldog breed. They're the team of the mighty <laughs> My name is Emma Raisin. and I'm delighted to have my football-loving feminist folk with me on a charter flight to the island of the Sanctum. I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Julia Kiera. Hello, I am Lucy Race. Did you groan when I sang that song just then, Julia? No, I laughed. <laughs> it sounded I like a groan. <laughs> I don't love the re-recording of it. I, I love a female voice. There's mm. something too formal about it. I want it to be a bit dirtier. Yeah. Yeah. A bit more working class. A bit more Melissa Etheridge, I think. Yeah. Less choir, mm. more Melissa Etheridge. <laughs> less Julie Anthony, who I always want to say Julie Andrews. Julie, less Julie Anthony, less Marina Pryor, more Etheridge. Something like that. Story of my life. What a massive week of footy news and results that we must discuss here today. The Suns are on a streak, beating the Cats. Frio and the Ds asserted their dominance. Carlton and Collingwood flew to the West under strict conditions, which we will definitely discuss. And St Kilda and the Bulldogs shook the foundations of the things that we thought that we knew about this competition. Julia, what was your highlight? Yeah, it was a it was a crazy round. It really threw a few things up in the air. But my highlight was Tory Groves Little has finally, you know, come back to the game after a few weeks out with concussion and just totally, you know, showed what they can do. A few goals that were just perfect crummer goals. One was a front and center and one was that kind of running forward of the ball and getting on the end of it and, and a snap on the left. And I feel like they're really showing a, a bit of a masterclass of what that crumbing player can really do. And we know that teams that can score have masterful crummers, masterful players who get at the front and center at the right time, can kick on either sides. And it was fantastic to see Tori out there and just showing what they can do. And of course, the Suns continue to upset our pre-season expectations, but we are, of course, as usual, stupid Victorians <laughs> who <laughs> undersell Queensland footy every single year and they always show us up. Undersold no more. It's a destination <laughs> yeah. club now. You'd want to be a young player. You'd say, yeah, send me to the Suns. Looks like there's great culture. There's great pathways. They probably have fantastic facilities. That's what I imagine. I haven't actually toured the facilities of the Suns. I have seen the Lions' old home and they're going into a new home. It looks like the place that you'd want to be playing your footy. Lou, would you move to the Suns? I know you'd have to play in a visor and a pair of sunglasses. Well, I'm a vampire, so I <laughs> am not a fan of heat and sunlight. So, no, 
I wouldn't, but I do love watching them play. And I love watching speedy players. Tory Groves Little has speed up their sleeves in a sleeveless jumper. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but they were so speedy and players like them and also Alyssa Bannon, who can just take the game on, I think are so important at a time when the conditions are so tough. We saw that with Melbourne and the wind at Casey. Alyssa tucked the ball under her arm and went for a run, didn't quite get the goal. But my highlight was tackles. <laughs> and I particularly enjoyed the match of matchup of Shelley Heath on Cora Staunton. She tackled Cora in the first quarter and brought her down. Cora managed to get the handball away, which is, you know, incredible work by her. But I really loved that matchup because Shelley is much smaller and just used her speed and her strength in in a way to really negate Cora's impact on the game. But then when we go to the most exciting game of the round, which we will discuss next, I'm sure, the Adelaide and Bulldogs game, tackles featured just beautifully. There was a tackle that Woodland took down Eleanor Brown and managed to get a shot on goal. And then that tackle by Elizabeth Snell on Hannah Munyard at the end of the third quarter Mm. just got hearts pumping, (laughs) did it not? It was amazing. That was my highlight, that game as well. And full disclosure, I wasn't watching it live. I was actually driving at the time. And so I had the AFLW app playing through my car stereo. I can't remember another AFLW game where I was I was screaming in the car. I was screaming, <laughs> hang on, dogs, hang on, dogs, hang on, dogs. And I could hear my highlight was Shiloh and Alicia Eva and Kelly Underwood not even being able to find the words to describe what they were seeing. But also, even if they could, you couldn't describe what you were seeing because it was just stacks on. It was just an <laughs> absolute pile on. The communication within the, the team must have just been absolutely bang on and intense for both sides. One willing it to just go, roll over the line and the others just defending with everything that they had. And I thought the post-match interview with Ellie Blackburn was really telling because Ellie's a really cool customer. And she sounded really emotional. She really let us in. It was an interview that hadn't uh, kind of hurt She's usually a bit one week at a time and she just wasn't. It was so joyous. And to win like that on the road, I think it really has shaken the foundations of what we know. And I worry, though, that we can celebrate this. I want to have a conversation, Julia, about the distance of skill set and ability between, you know, those in the top four and those in the bottom four. I also think that it really does tell a story of what this season is doing to the players and what Mm. we're asking of them and their bodies. Now, I don't want to discount how that win was achieved by the dogs because you cannot take anything away from them. They came out of the blocks absolutely firing. They were there to play and they must have been so desperate to demonstrate that after the start of the season that they had where it just kept getting thwarted. But You know, do you look at that game, Julia, and think we're closer than we think we are or we're further away? Wayne Siegman, the former Collingwood coach, had some words to say this week in an article that we will discuss where he said that it's becoming unwatchable to to see the top four play the bottom four. But when you get a result like that and when you see St Kilda piling the scores on against the Lions, is this the truth of where these teams are really at or is it the truth of what the season's doing to these teams? I think it's a bit of both. I think for the Bulldogs, 
going into that game, yeah, they they were definitely not the favourites. I doubt anyone would have picked them to win. But the Bulldogs have had a COVID-interrupted year. At the start of the season, I would have said that they were going to be pretty competitive. You know, they've missed games through, through COVID. They would have had lots of players that are sick and those first few games back, they just didn't look like they had, you know, the energy as, as one would expect from recovering from illness. So it's hard to say, okay, th- this is a problem with player depth than it is with COVID affecting this team. Because if I look at that team, I'd go, that list to me is just so exciting because it has a fantastic group of midfielders that you can build the whole thing around. Ali Blackburn, Lammy, you know, Rocky Cranston, bigger bodied mids, all right, who are not going to get pushed around and who've played a lot of footy. And then you've got this team that is just full of pathway players, you know, <laughs> I guess players who have been, who are really young, but have who have benefited from the footy pathway. So they, even though they are a bit younger and might have been undersized over the last few years, they have played so much football. So when you saw that last few minutes where they were just jumping on the footy and they were they were digging in, that that's that's footy smarts. That's experience. So I would disagree with Wayne Seekman's um, comments for the Bulldogs. I just don't think that, you know, when we consider what's a bottom four side, I don't think that they're a true bottom four side. You know, my point is that, you know, the dogs are – outside the top six but they've only played five games Mm. so it's kind of irrelevant to think about where teams are on the ladder apart from perhaps teams like Carlton Carlton, which is you know something else I don't know whether we're going to discuss but sort of look at you I don't think you can look at anything through the usual prism this year Mm. there are too many external factors you've got to keep that in the back of your mind the thing I loved about this game I think it was perhaps the best game of AFLW I've seen. Mm. The start of that game, I know we've talked about the end of it, but the start of that game, the three goals that the dogs got the jump on the Crows and that hardly ever happens. Mm. They just took it to Adelaide. Nobody really expected them to win and they goaled through three different people. So Bonnie Toogood, who is having a fantastic season, Nell Morris-Dalton and then Rocky. That just set it up because it put the pressure It probably asked questions of the Crows that they hadn't been asked before. So it was a full story, that game. And Mm. I don't want us to lose sight of there's a lot of upside and a lot of great stuff that we can, you know, be excited about and celebrate as well as talking about the tough stuff. I also really enjoyed there was a coaching moment when in the last quarter Doc Clark put Phillips into the ruck just so that you could have Phillips, Marinoff and Hatchard, I think it was, through the middle because you want to have your most experienced players. I I was really enjoying that. I felt like it was a real mind game as well. You don't expect Mm. to see that necessarily, but how how do you get the ball? How do you get more ball? You, well, you put your best players around the ball. And and Phillips did respond and she had a crazy number of possessions in the last quarter comparative to what she'd had for the first half of the game and got herself involved, which I always love. I love seeing that. I love seeing the tactical ways that you can make sure players are getting involved. Kirsty Lamb, I think, is having an all-Australian season. It's a really good moment for her to be able to define what she's capable of. She's winning games in those one percenters, which is just such an exciting thing, don't you think, for a spectator? Yeah, exactly. And when you have Blackburn and Lamb in there, if I was an opposition coach, I'd go, hmm, who am I going to tag? 
because you can't really tag both because then you've left yourself with only one attacking mid. So it's a great combination and Lamb has always been pretty underrated and is a really solid player, has a sneaky little left foot there. It's great to see her really getting a bit of attention this year for how good she is. And a little shout out to Sarah Allen who deserves a really big shout out. I love watching her play. Anyone who listens to this podcast knows how much I love Defenders. And Sarah Allen just continues to be just one of the best. She's just a ripper. And I love seeing so many people talking on social media about we don't talk about Sarah Allen enough. I think that we do, but (laughs) given that we're all talking about her on social media, but I just love watching her play. I'd trust her if I had to throw a dog out of my building. (laughs) Before we move on, let's talk about Carlton because I thought an early impressive goal from Darcy and I thought, oh, they've put us on the board here and we're going to have a day out, but it wasn't to be. The score was pretty gruesome at the end. The issue that I see with Carlton at the moment, and I'm not going to say it's a Taylor Harris-sized hole, but Nick Stevens isn't kicking the goals that she was kicking last season and and Dars hasn't kicked as many as I'm sure that they would like to have kicked. I feel like the setup is pretty good. We can, we can get it up the ground, but then it's just kind of got nowhere to go to and the whole purpose of the game is obviously to kick goals. It's just not happening for us and then and I don't feel like we're defending quick enough. It's getting it's it kind of flows back uh, the backwash of it happens really quickly and then Kez is having a pretty good season. She's such a tough defender, but I'm worried that we just don't know how the goals are going to come and where they're going to come from. I don't I don't feel like we've seen that yet this season. Julia, you would watch Carlton closer than most. Am I getting it right here? Yeah, I think I think that's right. We we've got to score more. But yeah, I, I don't think you can undersell that the the Harris hole because when she was out there, she attracts three defenders. So even if she didn't mark it, it meant that Darcy would have been, you know, perhaps had a bit more room or Nick Stevens would have had a bit more room. And so once you take Taylor out of there, that creates a, a, a problem. And you can see what Taylor's doing at Melbourne, a, a really consistent season kicked a goal every game often has kicked the first goal often when when Melbourne have been struggling so she's such a valuable player and and they're missing the structure that she provides in the forward line but you know I made a bit of a joke in a previous podcast about the former Blues um, players that have been traded away or delisted by Carlton and I think that they're missing some of them they're missing some experience they're missing some grunt I think about Al Downey on that plane home from Perth with Collingwood having just experienced a win when she was pretty much you know let go from Carlton and they could really do with someone out there who's really clinical and clean and who can go forward and take a mark and kick a goal. I just think that the the mix of the list, so the experience, the kind of middle experience and then the really young kids, I think means that they cannot play consistent four-quarter confident football, which is what teams that win do. Is that a connection thing, just not enough time playing together? I don't think it's necessarily a connection. I think that once the season started and they didn't it didn't start well, the overall confidence of the entire team has dropped off, and as a result, if you watch their ex execution of basic skills, basic handballs, basic kicks, basic marks, that's really dropped off as their confidence has dropped off. And that is the building block, the foundation of playing a good game. And so with that confidence dropping off, they can't just get their game going. So when we talk about the mid forward connection and so on, well, if the mid finally wins the ball out of, out of there, 
if they don't hit up that forward, then everything falls away. And especially the way Emma described the way that they kind of push up the ground and then they don't transition fast enough. If that one missed kick hasn't landed, then everyone's out of position and they'll get you on the, on the run back. And we saw Frio do a, you know, a fantastic coast to coast goal just because of that. I wonder if there is a a line of query that, you know, if if Taylor Harris is creating a hole in the forward line, she's not drawing three defenders, you don't get to see Nick Stevens and Darcy kick the goals that they've kicked. In the same way, I wonder whether missing Al Downey and how accurate her tap downs are means that you don't also get those magical Georgia G, Maddie Press-Barkas run on goals as well. And mm. that's not to take anything away from Bree Moody. And, and the Moody sisters are both, by the way, having standout seasons in my mind. But the midfield, we're not getting those extra special goals that come from those those mids that can run in that I've really enjoyed seeing the last couple of seasons. I think we can just say with Carlton's season that there is heaps of pressure on them now. My Twitter algorithm is really showing me a lot of critiques of Carlton at the moment and I keep putting the little cross saying, I don't want to see this, I don't want to see this. So I think that there will be some hard questions at the end of the season and we know with expansion that they'll, if we've got really unhappy players that Essendon and Hawthorne will be hunting after them and that makes me really despair as a Carlton supporter because I do think that the team just needs more time um, to gel to get their confidence back. There is so much talent in that team and we're just not seeing it at the moment. It's probably a good time for us to roll up our sleeves in melee because another thing that Wayne Siegman said in an article this week or in a tweet that was then extrapolated into an article, and gee, there was a lot of people having opinions this week, which is something I want to talk about as well. Wayne Siegman was saying we should throw out everything and start again and redraft the entire competition. There's a conversation that he was trying to start saying that, you know, the the difference between the top teams and the bottom teams is too great and with expansion coming in. Should we redraft all the players? Now, I know that that is not something that would be beneficial to all of the work and all of the embedded work that has been done in clubs and in teams. You know, you don't want to see people like Aaron Phillips playing for Essendon or Daisy Pierce moving to Hawthorne as much as it would be exciting for those supporters. It's not it's not good for the game because, it, you know, it doesn't have that, that history and, and those connections there. But there was something that I really liked about the innovation of it. Imagine getting the opportunity to throw it all out and start again knowing what we know. I'm sure that there's not many people who would agree with me on that, but I quite, I quite liked the idea of giving us all the opportunity to start again to say to players, if you had your chance to shoot your one shot again, how would you do it differently? Lucy, does that at all excite you? I don't really agree with his premise. For me, I need to take a step back. It's the point that I made earlier that there are too many variables and I think there are too many external factors having exerting pressure on clubs and the way that they're playing this season for it to just be about the players themselves. So I think it's an incredibly radical solution that might not actually be for the correct problem. Julia? Look, Emma, I do not agree with that suggestion, even though, you know, a radical change might be needed, because I think that we've talked about the millions of problems that are going on at the moment. But why do the players keep turning up week after week after week? Because of their relationships within the team, because they love each other and they like playing together and they've formed friendships. So why would you want to destroy that when there are so many other issues at the moment? Do not rip away the one thing that is keeping the teams together, which is the the collegiality and the camaraderie. I will 
would say though that yes, something's got to give um, because it's incredibly challenging at the moment. And as Lucy said, there are so many external factors. We know that Brisbane are playing four games in 15 days. Frio played six games in 28 days. The COVID impact of, of the teams, players being unavailable, injuries, all that stuff. Like that to me, they are all different problems than the actual list builds. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Natasha Stott-Desquare and you're listening to the Outer Sanctum podcast. What I've noticed this week is that there has been more voices adding to the chorus of picking apart the issues that are wrong. And I just will run you through this list. Mark Robinson and Lisa Caddo, both important voices in footy for different reasons, both pitched ways to fix the AFL. Alan McConnell, Lauren Arnell, Lauren Wood, Wayne Siegman, we've mentioned, Shani Norder, they're all using big platforms to have a go and, and to raise issues that are many and varied and they are issues from the fixture to the list builds to expansion to the heat to how much players getting paid and we see today Lauren Wood talking about Collingwood players who travelled and the WA protocols seeing two Collingwood emergencies having to sit in the sheds for the entirety of the game not being able to sit on the bench or go out on the field so it was 34 degrees when they played they had to sit in the sheds for the entire game and the whole of the Collingwood administrative and playing group who travelled to WA having to share just one toilet when they got to the ground and the venue so the issues are many and the issues are varied it does hearten me to see that we're having this conversation about all these different issues from many different champions at what point though do the players basically sit on the sit down on the field and say we cannot go on and where is the AFL PA in this because for me it's an issue of player wellness and welfare across the board how do you sign up for this well they haven't signed up for it look it is interesting to hear some of those voices raise these issues now because a few years ago when the CBA negotiations were happening, there was enormous division amongst those some of the same voices and amongst the players about what uh, were realistic expectations around pay and around conditions that they could ask from the AFL. I felt very disappointed at that time that there wasn't more unity in demanding a bit more of an equal playing field. I don't necessarily think an AFLW player can demand a, a Buddy Franklin $10 million contract, but a much more livable, comfortable wage. Now it's two years later, and as we've talked about on this pod, COVID threw up all those inequalities so dramatically. You, they couldn't just push through them now, and some of those voices are having to eat their own words now because it is too much. These players haven't um, signed up for it, and I think that what we've found, and again going back to COVID, is that we're all limping to the line. We all think that there's going to be an end point, and I think the players think, okay, just limp to the end of this season and let's just get it done. 
at what cost and what damage is being done. What love is really being stripped out of the game for them? You know, players will some players are going to walk at the end of this season. We don't know which ones, but I think that th- this has been the straw that will break the camel's back for some players. Well, the other thing to take into account is the combined factor of playing games very close together plus playing in heat. We have players who are fatigued. You know, you talk about the changes to the fixture, Julia, and the Lions will play four games in 15 days, including two on the road. And we are seeing an injury at least every round. We saw Aurora Smith make her debut for the Dogs this weekend and it looks like she's done something pretty dastardly to her knee and we're just waiting to find out if she has also ruptured her ACL. The reality is that there will be some players who may not be able to play again. Um, They certainly Mm. won't be able to play in in the next season. You know, you're right, we're in this perfect storm of part-time athletes and then applying a COVID filter the time of the year. So we can't just laugh off or put to the side the environmental factors. The heat and the wind really do feed into what we see on field and also Mm. what impact, you know, is going to be felt on the bodies of these athletes. Then border situations as well. It's like the AFL is trying to play this giant game of wordle <laughs> with football and with actual football players. And and I do have I have sympathy for the AFLW um, and for the AFL and the people who are trying to get this season away because in the back of their minds they know that there was that season where we didn't get a premier and mm. there was a lot of um, negative talk about that. So that's something that, you know, from the very start of this year, it's been the stated aim that we will crown a premier but I don't know that I want to see a war of attrition to get there it's going to take big changes some big structural changes and you can't make them on the fly you can't make them in the middle of it and so at this point I think it needs to be let's put to one side anything in terms of marketing in terms of broadcast numbers in terms of those other measures of success and we have to just be focusing on health and safety yeah and the more time goes on and with all these issues I do think something overall needs to change about the time of year or the way the the way the season is put together and something that I would love to see happen and I can't believe I'm about to say this and you know run a cricket miss Hussein may like really not enjoy me saying this but I'd love to see a big bash fixture for AFLW and by that I mean one game a night during the week and then two games Saturday and Sunday you know, a Saturday afternoon and a Saturday night game and a Sunday afternoon and a Sunday night game. So, you know, you've got eight teams who get a weekend game and then the rest are playing during the week because then they'll be playing at night. It'll be cooler. We might actually get them to play at Docklands. They might play at the MCG. They might play at Metricon. You know, when we see the games that actually get to play in a proper grandstand, there are less effects of the wind. The facilities in those places are so much better. I don't know if you ever see in the rooms at Punt Road or as you were talking about the Collingwood or whatever the away rooms there are not great so let the players enjoy those um, facilities that are free during the week I think that we would get more eyeballs on it if the the fixture was set up in a way the players got a bit more money so that they could structure it I think I would enjoy that a lot more and selfishly 
I actually kind of find it really difficult during AFLW because I want to gobble it all up. I miss games during the weekend because I can't sit in front of the TV for six hours a day, but I could definitely find time on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday to watch (laughs) one game a night where the players are playing in a cool summer breeze. One thing I was thinking about when you go back to negotiating contracts and you think about, uh, I used to be a talent manager, so we used to work out how we could get people paid, right? People wanted to have comedians or talent at their events, but they didn't always want to pay the amount that we believed that they were owed. So we'd work in other things. We'd say, well, can you pay for their flights? Can you also provide accommodation? Can they get some contra? Whatever it is, right? So when I think about what the AFLW players are going through right now, we know that they're not paid enough, that they're having to take a financial hit to play at this time. So that were the things that I was thinking, make sure that there's enough toilets, make sure that they have people laundering their uniforms. I I don't know what it is, like all the value add things, make sure that there is meals that they can take on the go, make sure that they have access to to treatments. If they can't get to the club because of COVID protocols, make sure there's gym equipment at home. All the surrounding things need to be done better. And I guess I'd never really thought about it until I thought about an entire team using one toilet. Well, on that, Em, You know, I go back to Lisa Caddo's suggestions of what she thinks the changes should, you know, be right now. And one of them that I'd like to just pick up on is the same support caps for the women's and the men's competition. And I wonder if there's space to move in terms of soft cap at the moment. I have heard so many conversations this year about what has to come out of soft cap. And clubs having to make decisions about do I, how many physios do we get? Do we get a psych? Do we spend money on jumpers? And all of these things that come out of the soft cap, clubs kind of have to look into the crystal ball and decide where do I want to, where do we want to put our resources? And then you get thrown curveballs and you don't have the resources. And it seems really unfair that players are punished because of decisions that were made sort of back in a a previous time. So I wonder whether that is something that the AFL could look at doing now, just basically saying, here, here's an extra certain amount into your soft cap, or here's something that you can now, you can spend this without it impacting on your soft cap to give you what your players need to get through the remainder of the season. I would say that some of the things you've you've suggested, Emma, have been done. I'm not sure if it happens universally, club by club, but the, you know your stuff gets laundered. You do get your meals. I do think the charter flight thing is probably costing a bit of money. <laughs> um, mm, mm. So I think money is being thrown at the problem in some ways, but they just need more. They just need more to to get it done and make it more comfortable, and they need more time as well. I think so many of the time pressures now to slam in these games in such short turnaround is because they're trying to get this fixture done. Whereas if they just said, you know what, everyone's spent, let's have a week off. Um, and let's push it out the other side. There's no conversation around that, um, and I think that, that that would give everyone a bit of a break to, to refresh and some COVID symptoms to go away and all that stuff. So, Julia, is your big fix this concept of a big bash-style competition where we have a game every night, and do you envisage that being played in September, October, or do you still want it to remain at this? You, you mentioned the heat, do you still see it being played in January, February? I think it would be great to see it start in October. You know, the weather, well, it's hard to predict the weather, but I think it would be a bit more kind. And I think that it also then supports player development in terms of you might have lots of players getting a go in their state leagues. 
um, which would run from March to September, and then they continue on. So I think we'd get a bit more continuity happening there in terms of players available, uh, in terms of fitness, in terms of player connection, and I think that that would work well. And and especially we you know the come down after the AFL Men's Grand Final uh, that you just kind of transfer that into you know your team in the women's. I don't mind it. I actually think I don't it's mind pretty it good. I think it's pretty good. There's been some conversation throughout this season actually since the since the AFLW kicked off about time of season it does seem to be the most important conversation that we have because you know without the hot wet without the January February we don't have the tennis the big bash to go up against we don't have the hottest weather we don't have Christmas holidays to contend with we don't have those big family summer breaks people can still take their holidays potentially if they've been working all year Lucy, what do you think about time of year? Where are you sitting with that? I would really prefer it to be towards the end of the year. And I heard Kelly Underwood on Offsiders this week suggest that it start maybe that bye weekend before the men's finals. And I really like that because the men's season, yes, it's finals time, but there's a number of teams that don't take part in finals. Not all fans are sort of died in the wool. <laughs> fans of watching other teams play in finals so we have less games there is that space and it would be the start of the season I think that's a great time so we get it started in September and go through to the end of the year but a lot of the problem now is that the AFL are trying to fit the fixture into a certain time frame and so that's why we've got teams playing multiple games in you know very short turnaround periods to the point where they can't actually train Mm. so if you want to talk about developing the game and developing the spectacle of it as well as actually developing players it's really hard to say we'll just play you four games in 15 days and and don't train and try and be accurate when you're tired and all of those things one thing that was brought to my attention this week and it was via Gemma Bastiani from Siren Sport and Play On and she's also working on the ABC this year as an expert comments person and she's the premier analyst and statistician really of the AFLW was the concept of perfect conditions and I think one thing that keeps happening is that when people are on the boundary and they throw down to them they say what are the conditions like and they say it's perfect conditions I think that that has become something that rolls off the tongue that insinuates there is a ground and there are people here. I don't think it you can ever say perfect conditions when you're talking about this AFLW season. You certainly can't talk about it in respect to the wind, to the stadiums, to the heat, to the sun, to the fixture, to the payment, to COVID, to the protocols. There is no there is no perfect conditions. We need to stop saying it's perfect conditions down here because it is not perfect conditions. And what we actually need to do is I think the aspiration should be perfect conditions. That's the aspiration for the men's game, to have the most perfect deck, to have the most perfect lead-up rehab, to have the most perfect structure through the AFLPA, to have perfect on-field and off-field education. It is all about guaranteeing or trying to get us close to on perfect conditions. So I think the aspiration for AFLW needs to be perfect conditions. I understand that it's going to take us a while to get there, but I think that that is the lens that will allow us 
to try and eke out some kind of equity for these players. But I would urge people to stop saying that these players are currently working or playing under perfect conditions. And I think that people who work at AFL House and people who work for the game in every capacity at the moment, I don't think any one of them could say that they are working under perfect conditions. There is no one that I know that interacts with this game at this time who is working under perfect conditions. And just following on from that, Emma, when we talk about perfect conditions overall of of a team, we saw the Bulldogs go to Adelaide and beat the unbeatable Adelaide team and that's fantastic and they did that with a young group. And then we had the first round of VFLW uh, in Victoria, so the, the State League. Now the Bulldogs VFLW team played Essendon and they didn't score. They didn't even have a shot at goal. So I think that that does speak to the challenge on lists at the moment, uh, COVID, availability, uh, who is actually available to play in the state leagues. That, Like it is amazing what the Bulldogs did achieve, but we, we also are still seeing some struggles around player development and who is available in that next tier down because – the weeks where teams have struggled is because they're actually pulling on absolutely everyone to get on the park just to get a team on the park. And to that end, Julia, I would say we can never predict what for every action, what the reaction will be, because I looked at some images of Kirby Bentley and Mel Hickey who are coaching that team. And I thought, this really sucks for them. The, mm. Their coaching record will show that the team that they put on the park today didn't even have a shot at goal. I would hate to think you don't get to asterisks but all of our players were (laughs) COVID affected and had to fill in for the AFLW team like that goes on your coaching record that really troubles me as well yeah exactly and Essendon having said that to give Essendon their due they are formidable they've been running an excellent program and year on year on year that VFLW team I'm still scarred from the three times the Falcons had to play them last year because they you know we talk about team cohesion they have got it going on so if you're playing a bit of a younger team who are don't quite have that stability they they were definitely going to have a day out and props to Cecilia McIntosh who is still playing And when we're talking about on the coverage of the Winter Olympics, we're hearing about people, they they often talk about Yana Pittman who competed at the Olympics for the Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics. Cecilia McIntosh, I will remind you, was a Winter Olympian, also represented Australia in the Commonwealth Games, has played AFLW at the highest level and is still playing footy and procuring scores like that. Unbelievable. (laughs) Amazing. One other props, props to Alison Brown, who played for Casey in the VFLW in the morning and then played for Melbourne AFLW in the afternoon. I think she ran 9K in the VFLW game and then another game of AFLW in the afternoon. Oh, to be young. (laughs) Unbelievable. Ah, there was another game that was played of some note this week, which was the Super Bowl. While I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, it really did pique my interest because I am probably the number one fan of Mary J. Blige. So in the words of Glennon Doyle, I don't even need to watch this game because I already know who the winner will be. It will be Mary J. Blige. (laughs) And I can completely confirm that she wiped the park with clean sweep and completely won Super Bowl and I was so proud. I was beside myself. I'm glad there was no vision of me watching her. It was a mixture between dancing and crying and howling and slapping myself on the head. At one point I fell to my knees. I was all over the shop. I was all over the shop. But I did really enjoy the fact that 
the halftime entertainment is outsourced. Jay-Z's company actually provides the entertainment at halftime. Now, there are some tricky backstories in some of the artists that performed, and I'm not going to get into that here, but I thought about how that is a cultural moment for America and, and the Super Bowl halftime entertainment show is such a huge leaping off point. To outsource that to an entertainment expert, I thought was, and and someone who has their, their finger on the pulse in a cultural sense, I thought that was actually a really interesting model. And when I brought up how interesting I thought it was, Lucy reminded me that she talked about it here on the pod a couple of years ago and it completely left my mind, Lucy. Goes to show who listens. You are correct. I did talk about this a number of years ago. So back in 2019, you know, the NFL have always had lots of issues, particularly around race and particularly brought to the forefront of media and people who don't follow the sport in the way that they responded to Colin Kaepernick when he was taking a knee. At one point, the NFL asked Jay-Z to be a performer and he said, no, he famously rapped, you need me, I don't need you. Following that, there were discussions and at the end of 2019, there was a deal done between the NFL and Jay-Z's company, Rock Nation, which would see him take control of the halftime show but also gave him involvement in the NFL's social justice programs, which is called Inspire Change. Jay-Z also asked them to make a $10 million investment in over 10 years in social justice causes. It's in, it's worth noting that in the 15 years since that 2004 halftime show with Janet Jackson and Justin Timberlake, which raised many issues as well, particularly the issue of how Janet Jackson was treated after that. There were only four artists of colour who headlined the halftime show. All three that have been produced by Rock Nation have been headlined by artists of colour. It's funny because I think the jury's out on the meaningful change that's happening across the league. There's still massive issues, one of which is that 70% of players in the league are black, but the league still only has two head coaches who are black this season. But what's interesting is that it is having an impact on the visible cultural side of the Super Bowl at least. I I wonder whether it's helpful that at least there are people like Jay-Z and the people that work at Rock Nation who have a seat in the room. Um, There was an interesting article I read this week where they were talking about how at least they're able to pick up the phone and say, what's going on here? Why are you making that decision? And I think it's, you know, it's an interesting conversation in terms of how do you affect social change? How do you affect cultural change? What role does art play? You know, is is there something to be gained by this partnership? In saying that, are you saying that you would like Briggs to curate the um, halftime show at the MCG on Grand Final Day? I would love that. <laughs> Anyhow. I would love that unless you wanted to go musical theatre and then I'm sure we could find some other people. <laughs> we don't talk about Sarah Allen. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably time for some final business. Do you have some beeswax for me, ladies? The A-League is going to have its first Pride game. So Adelaide United is playing this weekend and the women are playing Melbourne Victory. The men are playing Central Coast Mariners. They will be wearing their names and their numbers in rainbows on the back of their jumpers. 
Josh Cavallo, who we've spoken about, who uh, came out earlier this year, said that this is a significant day for myself, members of the LGBTI plus community and Adelaide United, as well as having this game, there will be education sessions that will be run so that the club can try to help lead in this space, which is incredibly important. Josh copped some terrible abuse a few weeks back at a game against Melbourne Victory and I've seen some of the some of the communications from sections of the fan base of Melbourne Victory that's actually made me turn my back on them there's clearly a real need for education in this section of the sporting community in other final business where we like to bring musical theater into the sanctum I did message you guys this week but really fell on deaf ears I don't not sure if you were ignoring me because you don't feel the same way as me but there's a Mr. Mr. song that every time I hear the words Daria Bannister or the name Daria Bannister I sing to myself Daria Bannister the road that I must travel and I don't even know what the real song is, but there's a little Kyrie earworm. Kyrie Eleison. It's what? Kyrie Eleison, The Road That I Must Travel. This is why Rana and I had to do the religious chat because no one else is religious. Oh, Meets the Lord have mercy. <laughs> so Let me go get my crucifix from the other room. Or some rosary so Daria beads. Bannister, have mercy. Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes her opponents might think that. Yeah, Daria Bannister, have mercy. I think that is actually how we end the pod. Well, thanks for the religious education, Julia. It's time for us to get out of here. There's only one thing left for us to say, and that is... Go footy! Daria Bannister, the road that I must travel. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.